today. We are kicking off a brand new series today about the church. And I'm going to talk today on the topic, I have decided. I have decided. You know, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Amen? There's nothing like the church when it's working right. I remember a story Pastor Bill Hybels told many years ago of having a young family come up to him on a Sunday morning after the service carrying a new baby all bundled up in a blanket. And they asked if he would uh, pray for their baby. And they handed the baby over and, uh, and then the mother pulled back the blanket. And as she did so, uh, Bill says that he saw a baby with the most hideously deformed face he had ever seen. It was like the entire center of her skull had collapsed in and she had no idea, he had no idea how she even managed to breathe. He said he actually, his knees actually went weak. He thought he was going to faint and he thinks he would have gone down, but the father grabbed his elbow and steadied him. And the mother said, her name is Emily. The father added, we've been told she has about six weeks to live and we'd love you to pray that she would know and feel our love before she dies. Well, barely able to speak, he whispered, okay, let's pray. And man, did they pray for that wee girl. And as he handed her back, he asked the couple, is there anything we can do for you? Any way that we can serve you at this time? And Bill said the father responded with words that still amaze him. The father said, we're okay. We really are. We've been in a loving small group for years. Our group members knew this pregnancy had complications. They were at our house the night that we learned the news. They were at the hospital when Emily was delivered. They helped us absorb the reality of the whole thing. They even cleaned our house and cooked our meals when we brought her home. They pray for us constantly and they call us several times a day. They're even helping us to plan her funeral. Bill said that just then three other couples stepped forward and surrounded the couple and the family. One of them said, we always attend church together as a group. It was a picture, Bill says, that he will carry to his grave a tight-knit huddle of loving brothers and sisters doing their best to soften one of the cruelest blows that life can throw. After a group prayer, they all walked up the aisle toward the front of church together. Where, Bill writes, I wondered as they left, where would that family be? Where would they go? How would they handle this heartbreak without the church? And I've seen this again and again. And I know you have too. The power of faith-filled, loving brothers and sisters who come around in the midst of a tough time, a difficult season, a devastating blow. This is church. This is what Jesus started and this is what we are going to be talking about over the next few weeks about what it is, what makes it great, how does it operate, what is our role in it, and how do we be a part of the incredible work that Jesus is doing through his church in the world. 
And so this morning we're going to dive into a couple of key scriptures that we're going to look at a passage in the book of Acts and then we're going to look at a passage in Jeremiah. But let me start by taking us to the very point when the church was birthed. Uh, Brooke Fraser in her powerful new song from Hillsong, King of Kings, puts it so eloquently and I'd like to just read you some of the lyrics from that song about Jesus. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. And the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who would come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. I love that, that phrase, and the church of Christ was born, and then the Spirit lit the flame. What a beautiful depiction of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to be looking at what happened there today, some particular perspectives, and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at what was it that the church engaged in that made the church such an incredible force for good on the planet today. So let's start in Acts chapter 2 verse 22 to 24, and then jump through to 36. It's in your notes. Read it with me. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This is after Pentecost has happened. The Spirit has been poured out, and Peter and the other disciples have, have just kind of tumbled out into the streets, speaking in tongues, and, and a huge crowd has gathered. Now Peter's speaking to them. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, this is important. Like, this makes sense, right? People die. People die, and when death comes, ultimately, people don't come back from that. I mean, every person that Jesus healed, uh, in fact, even the people that Jesus raised from the dead, later went on to, to grow sick and to die. So it makes sense, then, that if God does exist, and that if God came to earth to reconcile and to redeem people that he loved... And that if he was killed, it makes sense that he would come back to life, right? Like you can't kill God. So the resurrection of Jesus makes perfect sense if he is God. Verse 36. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Now this is such an intriguing statement. 
Paul, the great apostle, the writer of much of the New Testament, the theologian of the ages, the one that we all look to, he said this. He said, you better turn things around and get on God's side. And then he uses this phrase, save yourselves. Save yourselves. He's saying that in the raging confusion of life, God has thrown you a lifeline, but you have to grab hold of it. Jesus has sacrificed himself to reach out to you. He has made a way entirely of his own efforts, but you still have to grab hold of it. You still have to save yourself. Interesting. Particularly because church, this dynamic, growing community of spiritually empowered people cannot be passive. Passivity will get you swept away. Passivity will bring you to a place of drift in life. Peter says, save yourself. Sorry, this was Peter saying this, not Paul. Peter says, save yourself. Now, this is really important for what comes next. Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They saved themselves by taking hold of of Jesus, by taking hold of, of what he had extended to them and... Then they devoted themselves to powerful, habitual practices that created the life of God in them as they did them, as Dr. Adam Dodds shared last week. And we're going to look at some of these practices over the next few weeks, but today I want us to understand how they work, that they don't work unless we devote ourselves to them. Like Nobody wants to be pushed by the church, cajoled. No one wants to be nagged or manipulated into doing things that they need to do. And I think it's incredibly important for each one of us here today to realize that we are where we are. We got to where we got to because we took responsibility for ourselves. Absolutely, God has extended his salvation to us. Absolutely, it is the initiative of heaven. Absolutely, we could have done nothing to save ourselves except for the fact that when salvation is extended to us, we need to grab a hold of it. And for those of us that are here today who call Jesus Savior and Lord, that is exactly what you did. You saved yourselves. Jesus came reaching out for you, and you did that. And it's important for us to realize then, as Peter says, as Peter describes about what happens, that the church must devote itself to do it, that each one of us must devote ourselves to becoming like him. And we're going to unpack that at a whole different level next week. This idea of devotion is an important one that I want to explore today. What does it really mean for me to devote myself to pursue him? What does it mean for me to do that? What does it mean for you to do that? And and we're all here today because we are. We are devoted to this, right? We are devoted. We have devoted ourselves. No one made us get out of bed, unless it was maybe your husband or your wife nudged you. Uh, but, but, But we're here because we chose to be here. That is such a powerful key for us going forward. And I want to say to you that actually the same principle applies to every area of your life that you want to continue to grow in, that you want to continue to know more of God in, that you want to continue to see his power flow through your life in. That is the principle that we must apply. Now, let me for a moment go to the book of Jeremiah. We find that God's people have not devoted themselves to God. 
the temple was still there and operating, but, but, but Israel were not engaged in worshipping God. And in the end, they were taken into exile to Babylon, and they have found themselves in a place they do not want to be in. Have you ever found yourself in a place you do not want to be in? See, I have. Found myself in a place where sometimes it's the, it's the result of, of random things that happen. Sometimes it's because of things other people do, but sometimes it's because of consequences. And Jeremiah explains to Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29 that what they're experiencing are the consequences of several things. Not listening to God's leading, not listening to his word, not obeying his instructions, of being stubborn, of going their own way, of not taking a Sabbath. Jeremiah says, you've found yourself in this place because instead of devoting yourself to God, you've, you've let these things happen in your life and this is the consequence. This is what happens when you do that. I don't know if any of those are relevant to you. Certainly plenty of times in my life when plenty of these are relevant to me. And that's the danger with not being devoted. The danger is that we drift, right? We drift. This is what God says through Jeremiah to Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them and I will bring him near and he will come close to me. Listen to this. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. See, God says, I can turn this around. And God says to every one of us, if we get into a bad place, I can turn this around. I can turn this around. And I want to use you to make a difference in this world. But you've got to realize you can't drift into blessing. You can't drift into success. You can't drift into purpose. It doesn't work that way. And so God is looking for a people who will devote themselves and devote themselves to being close to him. God is looking for that above gifting. He's looking for that above fruit. He's looking for that above character. He's looking for that above experience. He's looking for that above personality. And yeah, all those things play a part and have a place. But the thing he's most looking for is this. Will you devote yourself to being close to him? That's what he's looking for. And we see that in, in, in everyday life, right? Like it's the heart of marriage, isn't it? I mean, you think about the first time, for those of us who are married in a relationship, think about the, the very first time when you were together, those early months or even early years. Man, there was nothing that mattered more than being close to that person. I remember with Liz, now I would hang out with Liz all day, and then I would go home, and then I'd get on the phone, and I would call her, and I would read her Dr. Seuss books till like one in the morning. Like, I know, what's up with that? Who knows? But I just, I just know I wanted to be close to her. But things, things can drift, right? Like, things can drift. And I'm telling you, things can drift with God as well. I remember when I was first a Christian, all I wanted, all I wanted was to get with a bunch of others and, and give us a guitar, and we're just going to sit down, we're just going to sing some songs. It didn't matter where it was, on the street, in a flat. It just, we just wanted to be close to him. That's all we wanted, to feel his presence come again, be reminded of, of his nearness. That was all that mattered. 
And I want to say to you, in your relationships, a key for many of us is just to remember that the most important thing is to be devoted to closeness. And I'm telling you, in your relationship with God, the most important thing that he is looking for is will you devote yourself to being close to him? Because it's your decision. See, this isn't a one-off thing. This isn't a one-night stand that we're talking about here. We're talking about a lifetime commitment, a marriage commitment, a daily commitment. And I think that too often we actually misunderstand what a decision really is. We think that a decision is, yeah, okay, something I will do now unless something changes and I feel like doing something else later. Who knows it's not a decision. That's an imitation of a decision. It's actually a diversion, a distraction. A decision is a much bolder, more scary, more single-minded thing. You see, a phrase that they used to use for making a decision was pinning your colors to the mast. Hands up if you've ever heard that phrase, pinning your colors to the mast. Anyone here ever heard that? Okay, a few of us have. Now, it's a saying from ancient naval warfare. When two ships were fighting each other, the goal was to take over the other ship. And in the chaos of battle with cannons going off and cannonballs smashing through the side and taking out people and men fighting with swords on deck, the primary method of communication was the flag. The flag. And they called it the colors. And and that referred to the colors of your national flag. And if your country flag was up the mast, then that was who you were fighting for and that was what the ship was committed to. However, if a white flag was run up, if the colors came down and a white flag was run up, that meant you surrendered. When you took over another ship, what you would do was you would try and get to the mast, run down their colors, and run up your colors. And when your colors went up, when your flag went up, then everybody knew that the battle was won and that the fighting stopped And that there was no more destruction from that point on. But sometimes what would happen is the men on one ship would take down their colors early. Why? Because it saved their skin. It saved lives. It saved bloodshed. But it also lost battles and put men into slavery. So sometimes a captain would command the first mate to literally go and pin the colors to the mast or nail the flag to the mast so that it could not be brought down. The result was that when men knew the only way out was to win the battle because we couldn't pull the flag down anymore, they fought with greater determination and ferocity. And many times they won. And here's the thought. A true decision is one where you remove the option to retreat or surrender. You pin your colors to the mast and you fight through to victory. And the early church and the apostles and the disciples, like many who had gone before them, pinned their colors to the mast and fought through to victory. And that's what we've got to do, right? That's what we've got to do in our relationships. That's what we've got to do in our walk with Jesus out there in the world. Sometimes we've got to pin our colors to the mast. And we've got to hold on and we've got to hang in there through it all, no matter what comes. I remember uh, when I was um, in Dunedin and I had just got a job working in a retail store. 
And uh, so I was, I've been out of, out of work for quite some time, and some of you have heard that story. Um, and so I, I got this job, fantastic job, in a bookstore, and I'm working with like uh, about 11 women. Me, one guy, 11 women. I mean, how blessed was I, right? How blessed was I? Good, that's me trying to get out of trouble before I get into trouble. Okay, so, uh, so we're, we're sitting, I'm, at, I'm sitting out the back on the floor unpacking boxes of stationery at one point, and there was this conversation going on around me amongst all these glorious ladies. And uh, they, they, they got talking about abortion. And, uh, and they'd already found out that I was a Christian. And so, and then the conversation went like this. Well, at least Mike here... He's not going to be, he's not one of those Christians who would dare to tell us that abortion is wrong. <laughs> and I literally, I remember sit, literally sitting there going, oh no. And I lifted my head up and I said, well, actually, ladies. And then I descended into World War III. But you know what? Sometimes you've got, to, you've got to pin your colors to the mast. And that was exactly what I was doing. No retreat, no surrender. And I have an opinion. I'm entitled to an opinion, even if that opinion is not popular. But that's what we do. And, and over time, I, I won the respect of those ladies in that place. And we had some incredible friendships. And I was able to share the gospel with some of them. And it was, it was a great season in my life. But sometimes we have to pin our colors to the mast. That's what it means. And that leads us to the second part of understanding what devotion is. Because devotion means doing, not talking. Now it's interesting, the word in Latin literally means to move down to the next level from the vow. So devotion, de-vow. It's like depart. When you part from somebody, that's one thing. But when you depart from someone, that's taking that to the next level. That's drilling down into the action part of that. You can make a vow, you can make a decision, but when you devote yourself, you take that vow to the next level. You take it to a place of action. And these, these Christians we read about, they devoted themselves to the practices that brought closeness with God. That means they took responsibility to make the time. They took responsibility to shift their priorities around, to fit certain things in their schedules that they had decided were not negotiables. There was no turning back on this. This was not, well, we'll do this this week and see if it works out. No, these things were absolutely core. These things are absolutely central to who we are and who we want to be because we see these things in Jesus. And so that is what we are doing. We are translating this into action and we are starting now. Devoting yourself means paying the cost, but it also means reaping the reward. And we need to remember that it's only the devoted that truly change the world. You see, nothing changes without action, right? It's one of the greatest and most simplest keys in all of human life, that you can change almost anything in your life through making a decision and following it up with relentless action. You can change almost anything in your life by making a decision and then following it up with relentless action. You may want to pray, but it doesn't happen until you open your mouth and start communicating with God. You may say that you're going to get healthy or get fit, but nothing happens until you get off the couch and walk out the door. You may want to know God's word, but nothing happens until you actually open God's word. Decision and action must go together. And nothing is more common in life 
than decision with no action. How many decisions have been made that were either never followed up with action or were never decisions in the first place? You know what I mean? Those colors were never nailed to the mast. And as soon as it hurts a little bit, we pulled them down and put up the white flag of surrender. The Bible says this. It says, you are slave to whatever masters you. You are slave to whatever masters you. So let me ask you this morning, is there anything that masters you? Are you mastered by inactivity? Are you mastered by melancholy? Are you mastered by sin? And I'm not saying that sometimes these things aren't complex. But what I am saying is nothing will change until you make a decision and take action. Planned, simple action that starts today and is repeated tomorrow and then the day after and then the day after and then the day after and then you have a bad day and you do it anyway and then you have a good day and you remember why you're doing it and then you have another bad day and you do it anyway but over time what happens is you begin to build something in you in your physiology in your psychology in your spiritual part of your being that actually begins to change the way you are the way you live the decisions you make the way you treat people the way you see things and this is the this is the thing we're going to talk about next week you see we're going to we're going to read that that the apostles and the disciples they what they devoted themselves to what to the apostles teaching why for what purpose because they saw something in the apostles that was so inspirational that was so powerful that was so life-changing and they realized that it came as a result of what they knew and so they devoted themselves to know what they knew so that they could have what they had in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 we read this they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers can you see this for a moment just can you kind of use your imagination to get a sense of what this looked like all the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved you know pastor Bill Hybels writes this he says there's nothing like the local church when it's working right its beauty is indescribable its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees them oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And it starts 
with people like you and me who have made decisions like we have made to devote ourselves, to devote ourselves to the things that make us more like Jesus. You see, devotion creates motion. It creates movement and it creates change. And we are the people, we are the people whom God has called as part of this community here. We are the people to whom God has given the responsibility of reaching people in our world. You know, I'm so grateful to this day. I'm so grateful for that person who went to bed one night and says, God, if you want me to speak to Mike about you, God, wake me up at three in the morning because I'm pretty sure he's, he's working at three in the morning. And she woke up at three in the morning and she rang me. It wasn't Liz, another friend of mine rang me, shared the gospel with me, challenged me about my issues and my refusal to submit myself to the Lord. I'm so grateful. So grateful for her that she devoted herself. That she devoted herself. No one said to her, oh, you should really get up in the middle of the night and call Mike. No, she devoted herself to that. And I'm standing here today because of that. And I'm so grateful. Who is it in your world that is going to be so grateful? So grateful. Because somewhere, somehow, you devoted yourself to be that person for somebody else. What will you do as we enter into these next four weeks and we we begin to dig into the sorts of things that Christians like us do that make us the kind of people that God can use to change other people's worlds? What will you do? And I want to challenge every one of us to, to do a little bit of an audit of ourselves, to do a little devotion check on ourselves. How are we doing? Where are we at? Are we taking responsibility to devote ourselves? Are we looking at what we need to grow in, what we need to know? And are we taking the steps to say, yeah, God, I'm stepping up. Yeah, God, I'm devoting myself to be close to you. Yeah, God, I'm going to do these things because I want to be like you in this world. I don't just want to go and do a job 40 hours a week for 40 years of my life and then hang it up and play golf. God, I want to be part of something that makes a difference. I'm telling you, if that's what's in your heart, then the only way, the only way is to devote yourself to be close to Him. And next week we're going to look at some specifics around how we do that.